The Premier League is back, baby. It back. is back. The most premier league in the world is returning this weekend. And you know we have to give you guys the lowdown on what we think will happen this time around. It's our second year doing this now. Mm. Last year, we were able to predict the winners. We both went Manchester City as title winners. But beyond that, a iconic, monumental moment was created for the give-and-go when Saltero submitted his Erling Holland take. Let's roll the tape so people can remember. There's a 30-goal gap that is missing when you lose Gabriel Jesus and Raheem Sterling, but they immediately replace it with a 30-goal monster in Erling Holland. There is no doubt in my mind, none, that he's going to get minimum 30 goals just in the Prem. He's that good, and he has the tools around him to make it an even easier job for him. When you have De Bruyne feeding you, you're never going to be hungry. You're never going to be hungry, bro. Yeah, that take was crazy. What's, yeah. what's even crazier is that I knew it was going to happen, despite what everyone else was saying. And honestly, man, I thought that that take alone, that prediction should have given me relief from any sort of footballing opinion <laughs> criticism for at least like six months, maybe even up right. to a year, bro. Right. But no, 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 no. It's the know. World Cup, bro. Nah, no. It's the World Cup. I do not see this team lifting the trophy. And one of my biggest criticisms, they're just not facing the best competition. I cannot say that Argentina is going to lift this trophy. I, no, come on. That was a penalty kick away. <laughs> That's as close as it gets. That is as close as it gets. It was gets. really fucking close and you're then, right and then like the gold cup happened and people just giving me shit i'm just like man all right i get it i get it i, yeah. understand, I understand the game well that's how this game goes i understand bro. it's it. short-lived and you got to make sure to appreciate the moments when you are right <laughs> how can you not be happy with another season of premier league upon us with lots to be played for lots to be seen and i just want to bring up that take so people can remember yeah. the things that we went through last season and hopefully what we could be expecting this time around maybe there's another Saltero take or Reynoso take in here that could end up being very beneficial or that could end up working against us in a massive, massive way. <laughs> Shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the stakes Those now, are the man. Stakes. Those are the stakes. And I think one of my biggest takeaways from what I've seen this transfer offseason and the moves that have been made in the transfer window, if you thought the gap between the Premier League and La Liga and Bundesliga, Serie A, Ligue 1, was already pretty big last season, well, it just stretched even more. The gap is even bigger now. I think that's why we're making it a point to highlight and predict the winners of this league specifically because the Premier League has become the gargantuan league in football and it has completely taken over as the number one league to watch in world football right now. With the moves I've been seeing, which we will talk about, it's ridiculous how they've been able to influence the transfer window landscape and how we're expecting now to see a very jam-packed, talent-filled Premier League that awaits us in 2023-2024. This following season that awaits us is going to be inconceivable, bro. I remember when the Super League got brought up like a year and a half ago, maybe even two years, and I said, well, you know, there already is a Super League in the making, and it's the Premier League. But this offseason, I think, has starting to really cement that notion because nearly every single Prem club spent money. And I'm not just talking, you know, panties uh, here. I'm yeah. talking clams. I'm, I'm <laughs> talking like they really quid. They they spent fucking quid, bro. They really spent a lot of money in like every single time. I think the only team that hasn't technically spent anything is West Ham. Ah, but even then, they made some moves today that I know are in the process of being made. They're going to spend that money. Right, for right, sure, right, right, for right, sure. right. But I know what you're saying. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Let's get into it, yeah? Mm. Let's get into it, eh? 
And it, and it, Doing a British accent for the rest of the rest of the episode? <laughs> Hell no. Let's start off with the biggest headliner, the biggest question going into this Premier League season. Who is going to lift the title? We have some contenders, man. We have some names that are vying for that, given the moves that they made this offseason. But I think it's going to be a lot closer than it has been in years past. Manchester City has, in a way, dropped down ever so slightly in quality with them losing Ilkay Gundogan, a major captain for their team, as well as Riyad Mahrez, one of the most creative wingers that they've had in their fucking history at this point, leaving to go to Saudi Arabia. They've had the the Croatian influx uh, with Josko Gavardiol joined the squad, as well as Mateo Kovacic joining as well. And then there's rumors of them trying to get Paqueta right now, fiddling with that in the transfer market. If they get that, that's a different story, man. It's a different story. But then Arsenal, honestly strengthening their squad with Urien Timber, Declan Rice, and Kai Havertz joining the team. Liverpool making notable moves as well. Chelsea going absolutely bonkers in the transfer window. There's so many teams here that we could actually make a genuine argument for trying to make a race for the title. But I want to know, man, who do you have winning this tournament? Do you want me to go first? Or you you want to you want to go first? What do you think? I'm genuinely curious. I'm open to I'm open to having this open up. What do you think? <sighs> Fuck. Flip a coin, maybe. Uh, let's flip a coin. 1952 half dollar. I do not know your takes. You do not know mine. Mm-hmm. We have not spoken about it. You want heads or tails? I'll go uh, tails. Tails never fails. Tails. All right, I'm heads. I'm just gonna let it land. Tails. So I'm going to oversimplify what I know will end up being a crazy, dramatic, complicated, and enthralling Premier League season. Spool, I, yeah. I know. I know that there's been many moves made, and I know that a lot of teams have improved their squad and have maintained a level of consistency with the coaches and the type of play that they're playing. But I think this year, the 2023-24 Premier League season, is going to be Manchester City versus Arsenal Part 2. And more specifically, I have Manchester City breaking history, winning their fourth Premier League title in a row. Never been done. A feat that has never been never done been before done. in the English top flight. And I have them as my champions with Arsenal finishing in second. And we'll get to that later. A little spoiler, that's my second pick. But I do have Manchester City winning the Premier League title this season. And here's why. I said last year, Pep Guardiola's Manchester City team that he had built was his best football style realized. 100%. 100%. And I think when you have found the recipe to success in footballing terms, I think that only allows you to just con- continue succeeding. Yes, they lose a big guy like Ilkay Gundogan, and that's actually a huge miss because he's an impactful player. He's the type of rare player that can change games. You no longer have that, and I do understand that. You get a guy like Mateo Kovacic in his place. While he does have the skill, while he does have the handles, he's not a game changer. No, He cannot no. decide games like Gundogan could. But I think where Manchester City really covered ground was actually getting Joško Guardiol. There was a comment that Guardiola made last year, and someone asked him, he's like, what is the difference? Why are you guys going for the treble this year versus any other year where you guys were successful? And he said, you know, I think the difference is, is we enjoy defending now. I think Guardiola has always had a very fluid, dynamic offensive system. But I think finally last year, I saw the exact same fluidity on the defensive end. 
The combination and fluidity and dynamic play of that defensive backline of Diaz, John Stones, Akanji, Ake, Walker was incredible. You could rotate any of those guys in and out, put John Stones in a dual midfield pivot, and you'd have one of the most dynamic backlines I've ever seen. Laporte too. Laporte as well, just being able to go in there. And then you buy a $100 million man in Gavardio, who's only 21, was a standout at the 2022 FIFA World Cup, has always been a ball-handling type of player, and you insert him into an already impeccable defense. I think where they lose a little bit offensively, they're going to make it up in waves defensively. And the thing is, you still have... Erling Holland, last year's best record-breaking striker in Erling Holland, and you still have players like Kevin De Bruyne. They've been able to keep Bernardo Silva, who was phenomenal yes. last year. You had Jack Grealish, who had his breakout year last year. He has something to continue to prove. Phil Foden will now be able to get a lot more minutes yeah. with the exclusion of Riyad Mahrez, and then you still have Rodri in that defensive midfield pivot position to dominate every single game. One God of the best damn. midfielders in the game right now. So, yes, they did lose a little bit, but I think how established Guardiola has this team, you just can't ignore it. It's like betting against the house at the casino, man. I really do see Manchester City as inevitable at this point. And the reason why I'm so confident in winning their fourth title and being able to say that is I think the rest of the Premier League, while they are improving, I think they're just a year away. I think a lot of projects that are going on are still in their infancy to where they can't really rival Manchester City over a 38-game season. I think we're going to have a different discussion in 12 months' time, but right now, I only see Manchester City winning this, but I do think it'll be close. I think it'll be incredibly close, but yeah, I just think Pep Guardiola has found the perfect recipe in the Premier League, and when you have the type of players that he has, I just don't see them losing it. That coin flip was pointless, bro. Because I would have said the same goddamn thing. Let's I go, questioned baby. it, bro. I really did. I tried to convince myself of the Arsenal perspective. The fact that they were so close and all they've done in this transfer window is improve their squad. I love the signing of Declan Rice. I love the signing of uh, Urien Timber, who might end up being the most valuable signing they got this summer with his ability to play as a fullback or as a center back. His versatility in the back line will be crucial for this Arsenal defense. And then a guy like Kai Havertz could end up working out for them in really great ways. But already, bro, already, they're dealing with an injury to Gabriel Jesus, who's going to be out for a couple months, I believe, to start the season. That sucks, man. Yeah. That hurts. That's not, you want to start off 100% fresh, and right off the bat, they will not have that. I think they had a great season last year, but I just don't think they'll be able to amass that same number of points again, especially with the improvements of Chelsea, Tottenham, Manchester United, these top, top clubs coming in with money now and funneling their squads with more players, with more talent. It's going to be way more competitive this time around. And we mentioned it last time too, that one of the biggest factors of with Arsenal losing the league in those final months was the mental aspect. Will they be able to bounce back the following year to defeat this Manchester City squad that once they choose to can win 10 to 15 games in a row and win the goddamn league? I don't see them bouncing back after what happened last year. I could see them continuing just being a really good, solid team and earning that second place spot in the league. But title winners against an established Manchester City side that just won their treble? I think it's Manchester City's to lose, man. And I think the losses that they've had in Gundogan and Mahrez 
are notable, but it's not enough to knock him off of that Premier League pedestal. It's just not, man. Yeah, I don't see them winning a treble next year, but I still think they're they're going to compete for that Premier League title and they're going to compete for the Champions League as well. Manchester City is here to win the title again, and I just haven't seen enough of a decline to convince me that they won't do it. I'm going Manchester City, bro. Yeah, and to, to kind of add just a little bit to the end of that about how people, you know, maybe think they really did degrade. I think, again, the Gundogan loss is huge, but the coverage I already talked about, I think will make up for it. But to specifically talk about Mares, I think the implication there is it's going to give players like Phil Foden and Julian Alvarez just a lot more playing time and responsibility. The thing is, I think those two players are up for it. They have yeah. the class, the skill, and they showed it last year. Phil Foden's shown it for a couple years now, but Alvarez specifically already showed that in his first year with Manchester City, he can start. He can play just alongside Erling Holland, Kevin De Bruyne, and Jack Grealish. Yeah. You lose Mahrez, but the reason why I'm not worried about that is because the last quarter of the season, when Manchester City were having huge games back to back to back, Mahrez was on the bench. Yeah. He didn't play at all. Guardiola canceloed him, essentially. <laughs> like, he just you know, banished him to the bench. Canceloed. <laughs> and he just didn't pick him anymore. And so with his absence this season, I think it was just already yeah. coming. Yeah. So I, I don't think Guardiola was ever going to really pick Mares as, oh, he's going to be a part of my plan in the next couple of years. Also, his age at 32, I think it just kind of makes sense that Mares finds a different place in his career. I feel like we haven't even mentioned the most important name for, their, for this Manchester City team, bro. Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I want to make sure we say his no, name because I know the comment section is probably already looking at us like, damn, are they going to mention him? De Bruyne's still here, man. He's still here. He's still here to facilitate this incredible offense and to pull the strings for what already is one of the best offense we've ever seen in the history of the goddamn sport. I think Manchester City looks very good going into the season, but I want to turn the page over to Arsenal to talk about them for a second. Yeah. What does Arsenal have to do in order to top Manchester City? What's it going to take? It's going to take perfection. It's what Guardiola has instilled into his squad. And it's why they've won three in a row, and it's why I think they win four. What's really interesting about this Arsenal team, and I'm going to use the key word of the day here, they are established. You know, for the last couple of seasons, it was always about, you know, growing Arteta's way that he wants to play, implementing it out on the pitch, and then actually getting the results. Going into the season, I see Arsenal as an established team. It's not about figuring it out anymore. It's about perfecting it. They know what Arteta wants now. It's not about learning anymore. It really isn't. And that's why I have Arsenal, once again, going for the title. When I look at every other Premier League team that isn't named Manchester City or Arsenal, I see a little bit more of a learning curve that's required to go for a title like the Premier League. I think Arsenal are the only other team that are truly established. Their season last year was phenomenal, even though a lot of people criticized the way that they ended it. But I still think that they played the second best football in England. And that says something about it. And I think they can do the exact same thing this year. And you already highlighted it. I think their best signing was Jurian Timber. Having Gabriel and William Saliba as your center backs, and then reinforcing that defensive mindset with Timber either as a part of a back three or just straight up as a defensive fullback, I think is going to heavily improve Arsenal's chances and not conceding goals. He's, it's he's like their uh, Ake, almost. Yeah, Nathan actually, Ake. Yeah. yeah. He's a very similar prototype. Holy shit, yes. That's a perfect parallel because he's just as good, honestly. I, I really Dutch. do think so. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> Dutch boys. And he's Dutch, bro. 
And I think he's going to have the same impact as Ake. I really do. He's going to come into this team already ready to go. And I think he's only going to improve it. You know, last year, especially towards the end of the season, there was a lot of goals that Arsenal conceded because they either got way too eager going forward or they just had too many holes at the back. You know, I think a lot of people like to highlight Zinchenko, for example, as being maybe the weak link in that back line. Well, now you can have Ben White as a defensive fullback and Timber as also just another utility defensive player. You have a back line like that, I think you're going to concede way less goals. And if Arsenal can have that back line and have the exact same offensive setup that they had last year, I only see them being better. Now, here's, here's what really frustrates me, man. The absence of Gabriel Jesus. Yeah. I think that's key. I really do. So the, the fact that he's out for possibly two months, at least a month, that, that's not good. No. And, and <sighs> Frustrating, bro. It's man. so frustrating with Gabriel Jesus. This happened at one point last season, too. Yeah. I think after the World Cup, right he was after. out for a couple months, too. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. He's going to come back. Guarantee you he's going to get injured again. <laughs> I guarantee it. And the thing... Depressing. The, it's depressing, bro. And the reason why I don't have Arsenal even winning this is because of that. You cannot win the Premier League without a number nine. You can't. Kai Havertz is going to try his best, you know? And what's crazy is we talked about the utility of Havertz and he ended up starting in the community yep. shield, you know, yep. as that number nine position. And sure, he was good. Why not? But he missed... Uh, he should have scored. Yeah, he, he was involved, though. He was involved. He was active. He was active. Um, but that's the thing. You need At this Jesus. Point, yeah, you need yeah. him. Kai Havertz and, for example, players like Bukayo Saka, Leandro Trossard, I think will pick up the pieces, but they can only do that for so long. And you need a healthy Jesus to win the league. And that's what really frustrates me, man, because with that uncertainty yeah. of Jesus' health, I just can't say Arsenal win it. I can't. I think the only counter I would have to that is the idea that one thing that really shocked me about last season was seeing how good Arsenal was doing until they finally faced off against Manchester City. Because if you remember, that matchup was delayed for so long, dude. So long because I think the first time they were supposed to meet, it just got delayed for some reason. And they ended up facing off against each other like three times in one month instead. And I think it was the first or second time they played each other. Manchester City smacked Arsenal. 3-1. Yeah. And I think it was such a statement to see them get beaten like that and just show the quality and class and levels that Manchester City is above Arsenal at that moment. But then the community shield happened. You know, it's been a few months. The transfer window arrives and it's community shield time. And what do we see? We see an Arsenal team actually play up to the level of Manchester City. Tie them 1-1, one -one, win on penalties, but not get smacked around the way yeah. they did in those Premier League matchups last year. I think that's, that means something to me. I know it's just a community shield. I know it's a preseason tournament or competition mm -hmm. or game, but it still means something because if they can play up to that level against Manchester City, then I think that bodes really well for their mental state and for the way that they'll go about approaching every other match in the Premier League as well. 100%. I think I, you could see in the way that Arteta celebrated, for example, Winning that game, even though it was through a pretty bizarre deflected shot to equalize it, winning that game, I think, meant a lot to Arsenal for, I think, the mental reasons more specifically because it showed them, they're like, all right, we're here. We won this game against our biggest rivals right now in Manchester City. Let's start the Prem in the same way, and let, let's just go off. Let's do what we finished last year, what we almost finished, and let's start the season in the exact same manner. Again, I think this Arsenal team is incredibly talented, bro. Martin Odegaard, 
the best attacking midfielder last season in the Prem, surpassing De Bruyne in the one specific season, in my opinion. He's still here. You still have Bukayo Saka, probably the most talented winger right now, or the most deadly in the Premier League. Salah. On the other side, Martinelli. We're going Salah, bro. You're going Salah? going Salah. Martinelli, but I think what I want, want to see more specifically, I need to see Trossard more involved. And I'm really curious to see how Arteta does it. Right now, I think the reason why Arteta is a little shy to play a player like Trossard is last year, especially throughout the entire season, Arteta always had two high-flying wingers just as wide as possible and had them just hug that touchline the entire way. Trossard's not that. He's not that. He can occupy a wide position, but every time he gets the ball, he's cutting inside, brother. Yeah, he That's is. It. He's going to. And I don't know if Arteta's comfortable with starting a player like that right now. Obviously, he brings him off the bench and, or starts him in rotation when they have like two games back-to-back. But I do think a key to their success will be actually starting Trostard, man. He's already shown his quality, especially last who, season. Though? Where does he start, man? That's the problem. I think you're, I thought Martinelli was amazing last year. He was incredible. I think you're going to have to sacrifice Martinelli at some point in the season for just a little bit of variability. I think the teams that succeed the most have different focal points of attack. If you have two dribblers, great. But if you have one dribbler on one side and then creative midfielder on the other, I think that just gives you more options, bro. I think, especially in the last like two to three months, I thought Martinelli actually finished a little flat. I really did think so. I think Trostar just needs to be more involved. I'm not saying he starts every game, but I really do think that if Arsenal want to be successful offensively in the long run, Trostar needs to be way, and I mean way more involved. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder, because they also have Fabio Vieira waiting on the waiting to kind of play that sort of role. Didn't get a lot of minutes last year, mm. but it kind of felt like the idea was to get him settled in for that first year. And the second year, they're going to give him that minutes. He got minutes in the community shield as well, man. He, he did. I, I just don't see Vieira as being that starter for Arsenal. I, I really don't. I think the 11 that they have, and if you include Trostar as a 12, I think that there are leaps and bounds above a player like Fabio. I really do think so. Not that Vieira can't come in and you know play some good minutes i just don't see vieta having an impact like trossard could for example last question i'll ask regarding manchester city and arsenal over under holland gets 30 goals in the prem does he do it again that's what's crazy bro does he do it again i'm actually gonna go under i'm more inclined to go under but at the same time can I say 30, but plus or minus two? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, 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 you get between 28 and, and 32. And 32. <laughs> okay. Damn, that feels hella safe. That feels safe. I would, I would go for that too, man. But that's the beauty of the 30. That, I love the idea of that 30 right there. Yeah, the so, only reason why I'm hesitant on why Holland might not have as good of a season is because one thing that the Premier League has like a system, as like a living being, is very good at doing is adapting. And I think coaches, especially this season, are going to have very specific plans on to make Holland's life absolute hell. This is, I think, going to be almost a pivotal point in Holland's career because if he can succeed in his second yeah. year here, he's going to score 30 goals every year for the rest of his career. Yeah, I mean, in just the domestic yeah, I want to see how he reacts to that, man, because he didn't do shit in the community shield, man. He didn't do and anything. there's been games, and there's been finals specifically, mm -hmm. where Holland just kind of goes ghost. He kind of goes ghost. When it comes to these really big moments where he's the focal point of the defense, he can be shut down at times. He can. And I, I want to see him kind of counter that and adjust to that and find ways to continue dominating despite what the defense tries to set up against him. Top four. Top let's, four. Let's flesh out the top four. Let's discuss who we have in third and who we have in fourth place to finish off this top four 
conundrum in the Premier League. We can be kind of straightforward with this. In third place, I have Liverpool, which I will talk about in a second. And in fourth place, I have Newcastle United. So right off the bat, I want to know who is your third and who's your fourth. I have Liverpool in third place. Oh, nice. As, 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 just as you do, as you're yes. wearing and honoring yeah. that shirt. And in fourth place, I have Manchester United. Really? I do. You're buying in. <laughs> yeah, Ten Hag, baby. You're buying in, yeah, though. Yeah, I know. Okay. He, proved, he proved himself to be a good manager last year, and now it's Ten Hag round two. What, what, what do you think about their signings, though? I think this one's a really interesting talking point with Hoyland joining the team, Andre Onana replacing David De Gea, and then Mason Mount joining them as well. You're convinced by those signings, man? I, I, something about them does not excite me at all, especially the Mason Mount signing. Andre Onana is a keeper. I mean, there's so much. He, there's only so much he can impact for the overall game. And Hoyland seems more of a signing for the future. Yeah. He might not have a great first season. He'll be great eventually in his career. But in terms of impact right now, I don't see any of these signings as an immediate impact that can lift this team past what they achieved last year. I'm not convinced at all by these signings. I just want to make that very clear. I, I agree with you. There's nothing I, I can say that goes against that. But it's why I have them in fourth, not in second or first or third, you know? Not in sixth or seventh? <laughs> no, because this exact same team without Mason Mount, without Hoyland, finished in third, right? So I see them pretty much having the exact same performance. Actually, I have them doing a little bit better. The reason why I have them actually dropping is because I think the teams in front of them have improved. That's why I have them in fourth. I think they're going to have a very similar season. Actually, again, a slightly better than last year. And again, the reason why is because I think Ten Hog is their manager. And I think the fact that last year he joined pretty late on in the offseason, didn't have much time to really work. He had to use like the first 20 games of the Premier League for his training sessions. I think having all of that had passed now, I think going into his second season, Ten Hag is going to be a lot more confident in his players to actually play the exact type of game that he wants to. And the thing is, the same core of players that were able to successfully employ his ideas last year are still here. You have Marcus Rashford, who I thought was phenomenal last year. Luke Shaw, fullback, I thought he was also equally just as incredible. Casimiro's still here. Yes, he's aging, but I think I still think he's a quality defensive midfielder that can play in the best type of clubs absolutely i think this manchester united team is incredibly talented from front to back i just don't think they're title contenders so yeah i have them finishing in the top four but that's it but okay let me try to convince you of this other side let me just try here mm. you said manchester united finished in third last season and their core remains the same thus you still have them in the top four newcastle finished in fourth last season but I saw their signings that actually very impactful, very good signings with Tonali joining the team, Harvey Barnes, the winger, joining the squad as well, and then a defender in Livramento joining the team too. I see those signings as way more impactful than what Manchester United has done, and thus I put them over Manchester United for those reasons. I think Newcastle United will end up being the team that takes their spot in the standings. Newcastle United scare me. In a good way, though. Leicester won the Premier League, and then the very next season, you know, they fired the coach, right? Newcastle United, 10 years ago, f finished in the best position that they had in, like, the last 30 years. They finished in fifth place, very similar to what they finished last year. And they were in a relegation battle the very next year. And they ended up getting relegated three years after that. I'm not saying that this Newcastle team is going to get anywhere near relegation, but I think to repeat... 
what they did last year is going to be very, very difficult. Now, here's the thing. I want to make, I want to put this out there before I keep going. I hope I'm dead wrong about this one because I like Newcastle. I like the way that they played last year. They had the best defense alongside Manchester City out of the entire league. They were phenomenal, man. Yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. But to repeat what they did, considering they only really signed Tonali, I'm not going to count Barnes because I think Barnes has been a little bit lackluster for Leicester for the last season and a half. I really do think so. Oh, but that was a bad Leicester team, man. It's a 40 mil signing. I think that's an impactful signing it, overall. It's impactful, but I just wish he was in better form personally, like on, might, on a personal I basis. I think he might reach that with I, this team, especially with a good surrounding cast. And this is where I hope I'm wrong. I, I hope Barnes goes off. I hope he's able to repeat the type of performances that he was able to put in when he first joined Leicester. But I think when you're a team like Newcastle and you're in the Champions League for the first time, in a long time. I don't even know if they've ever played in it before. I, I don't know. So yeah. hopefully someone can tell me that. When you have to do that and then also repeat the same performance you put in last year to huge competitions and you only get Harvey Barnes as your oh, offensive they're, signing? No, they're going to bomb in the Champions League. <laughs> <laughs> I, it scares I, me. I'm not talking about that at all. <laughs> I get what you're saying. I see them as a group stage X in the Champions League, but I think they're going to focus in on the Prem, dude. <laughs> but, 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 I get what you're saying. Yeah. I really do. But I think overall defensive success is easier to rely on than offensive. That's and Newcastle true. is one of the – best teams in the league that can rely on that overall. And so for that reason, I'm going to bank on that happening again this year because that didn't change at all, man. If anything, they improved it with Liramento joining the team too. I think they can repeat what they did defensively and then just hope for that offensive success, especially with St. Maximum leaving the team. Can a guy like Harvey Barnes take in and replace him? Or Almiron, can he have the same success he had earlier last year too? Can they repeat those things? I think they will, especially with the inclusion of Isak, too, doing really well right, towards right, his last final right. months. Yeah, he was great. Overall, Callum Wilson. I think this Newcastle team has a lot of strength offensively that will live up to their potential and give them that same success they had last season. That's just where I'm at, though. I, I, yeah, I'm, I don't necessarily disagree. I, I, again, I think the signing of Tonali completes their midfield. We already kind of talked about it. Their weakest link was that third midfielder. Now, I think with Tonali, now players like Joe Ellington and Guimaraes can have a little bit more freedom. And if anything... Add to that offense. I understand that. I'm just saying that when I look at Manchester City, when I look at Manchester City signings, when I look at Arsenal signings, hell, when I look at Chelsea, when I look at Liverpool, for example, fuck it, even Aston Villa. Yeah, I get scared for Newcastle because right, offensively, I think they should have done more especially knowing that they have two huge tournaments to participate in because let's say they do go out in the Champions League group stage, that's not going to be their plan though, right? That's not oh, going to be their plan. Yeah. Eddie Howe in every week is going to have a for headache sure, for sure. Yeah. being like, all right, I got I to gotta play Brentford this weekend and then I got to play Club Bruges well, the next. Who like, would how you do we have figure wanted then? Who would have been the signing that would have made you, convinced you otherwise than offensively? Specifically, I don't like, know, but I type just... Type player. Spe yes, specifically, I don't know, but I just wish that they had gotten a little bit more fluid of like a, an attacking midfielder, I think. Because I think where Newcastle faltered last season was in the latter stages of the season where they just got a little bit predictable, I think, offensively. They started scoring a lot less goals. Yeah. And that's what worries me. Because when you get a player like Harvey Barnes, he's like saying maximum, but maybe not as good. I, I don't think he's a game changer. Yeah. I'll agree with you on that. I don't think he, he impacts the, the club overall the way that a really good, well-rounded winger does. But he is more of a fill-in player for now. 
And I think that that's kind of all they need, in my opinion. I think they have a lot of offensive tools that we might be undermining here. Absolutely. I mean, when you look at a player like Joe Ellington, man, like he's an anomaly. I don't understand how he finds the spaces that he finds, and I don't understand how good he is when he gets involved offensively because sometimes he looks unstoppable. It really is crazy how good some of these Newcastle players can play. I'm just saying... I get a little scared when I look at the teams around them, right? And also considering the tournaments that they have to play in. But as I said at the beginning, dude, I hope I'm wrong. Seriously, yeah, I hope I get yeah. this one dead wrong. And I hope that Newcastle go all the way just as they did last season, but even more with the inclusions of a player like Tonati. Yeah, the last thing I'll say is, I remember last year you mentioned how probably one of the biggest weak links for this Newcastle team, although he had a good season, was... Uh, Joe Willick. Willick, yeah. That boy is not going to see the light of day nah, this season, bro. There's no way. And I want to see what a Newcastle United squad with no longer a weak leak in that sense looks like. And just to end on why, let's say, I have United over Newcastle in that fourth position, I think United are one signing away from being a title contender, whereas Newcastle, I think, are like two or three, right? And it actually is kind of boggling when you look at United's situation because... United have always been a club, that, one of the biggest clubs in the world, bro. They have fans everywhere. In every stretch of the planet, there's a United fan somewhere. And when you look at their squad, they don't have a single superstar. You know, God bless Bruno Fernandes, because he's phenomenal. God bless him. And, and I don't care the criticism that heads his way, he's the reason why you have fun at a United game. Yeah. Like, let's be honest, man. But, you know, United are missing, for example, a Harry Kane. I was about to say that. And, like, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's so stupid that they'll pay all of these players' wages yeah. and they'll get a player like Anthony and they'll buy Jaden Sancho. Hoyland, 16 Hoyland. Why not not get three of those guys and use that money to get Harry Kane? I don't get it. I don't get it, especially considering the pedigree that United have put in place to represent themselves as. But for the last 10 years, man... Their best, most consistent player has been David De Gea, and I just want to do a little, a little, a little, little, a little honoring of David De Gea, who's now no longer Manchester United keeper. You know, in United's darkest times post Alex Ferguson, I think the only player that played at a superstar level was David De Gea, and I know he finished his United career maybe a little bit not in the limelight. I know he kind of got a little bit mistake prone. But he still had the most clean sheets last year. Isn't that crazy? Like when he had a bad season, De Gea was still the best goalkeeper in England. Pretty phenomenal. Okay, I don't know if I'd say best goalkeeper <laughs> in England, but I, I guess statistically. You get the idea. Statistically, I get the idea. Sorry, 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 sorry. Statistically, my bad. Um, <laughs> but that's a legacy he leaves. But no, it's I agree. pretty dope. I agree. I, it's pretty yeah. dope. He, and yeah. I think he'll, he'll go on to be a Manchester United legend, in my opinion, because. There's been so many forgettable players in the last 10 years that have played for United, which is my point, why they won't be title contenders. But David De Gea definitely was a memorable one for sure. And he'll be deeply missed, but getting a, a goalkeeper like Onan, I think they'll be fine. Yeah, here on the Give and Go, we're sympathetic towards players that get a lot of hate online, man. Mm -hmm. We really are. Even Harry Maguire, we defended him at times. We did. I think David De Gea deserves his credit for what he achieved. It just sucks that the soccer community can be so toxic in that <sighs> sense. I feel like he left on such a bad note overall. But when you look at his resume, when you look at what he gave Manchester United, 10 years of excellence or at least of consistency playing at that level, it deserves credit, man. Yeah. And I just want to make sure that we give him that. Final question to you, though, regarding this topic. Where do you have Newcastle United finishing? Yeah, I have Newcastle in sixth. Okay, I can respect that. Yeah. I know I can. 
Yeah. I thought I was worried you were gonna say like a double digit number. Right, 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 like ten or something. Yeah, yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah. Like yeah. Like I said, I, I hope I'm wrong about it. And I know I made it sound dire. I only made it sound dire because I hope a team like Newcastle fights for top four. I think they'll be between five and eight, and I have them at six. Yeah, uh, and I have Man United at fifth. Okay. Right outside the yeah. top four. Okay. Let's talk Liverpool, man. Let's talk Liverpool. Let's talk Liverpool, but I do think that this is really straightforward for me, the way that I see this. Liverpool will not be a title contender unless they sign more players. It's that simple. Two huge signings and Dominique Soboslai joining the team and Alexis McAllister, perfectly tailor-made for Jurgen Klopp's system, especially in the midfield, players that we absolutely needed. At the time of each of those signings, I even said, Liverpool are back. Liverpool has returned. They are back to their best winning ways because these were the two perfect signings. But since that moment, which was like a shoot that we did like a month and a half ago, they haven't signed anyone else. And in the Premier League, the most competitive league in the world you cannot settle with two 40 50 million dollar signings it has to be much much more and the issue that i'm having as well as a lot of liverpool fans are having with this team right now is the reluctance that fsg liverpool's ownership is having towards signing a big player now or at least spending boatloads of money for that player Liverpool loves to penny pinch, man. <laughs> they really do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe that's why I associate myself with them a lot, man, because I really do love a $5 meal from KFC. You know, I enjoy that yeah, shit. Yeah. I love to penny pinch. But when it comes to winning, when it comes to competing for a title, you have to splash way more cash, dude. And it's represented in this Romeo Lavia saga with Liverpool, <laughs> with Southampton saying that they want 50 million euros minimum to sign Romeo Lavia and Liverpool over here in the corner like, I can give you 40. And then coming back the next week, I can give you 43, 46, 48. Let's do 48. (laughs) And what was reported today? Chelsea made a big, big offer for 48 million for Romeo Lavia. We might actually fucking lose the opportunity to sign the one other midfield that we absolutely needed to a club that is actually willing to spend that money in Chelsea. And it's representative, it's indicative of just that complacency, that fear, that hesitancy that Liverpool's ownership group has towards making major signings. And it just sucks because they absolutely need it, man. They need depth. I think if you look right now at the squad size, Liverpool has one of the smallest squad sizes in the Premier League with just 22 players on their goddamn roster, man. You got to have way more than that to be able to compete for a goddamn title. So because of that, although I see their starting 11 as one of the strongest in the league and why I have them in third place, I cannot consider Liverpool a title contender unless they sign two or three more players before the transfer window closes. And I'm talking about another midfielder, another center back, and possibly another fullback. Offensively, I think we're absolutely fine, but we do need more midfield depth, knowing how bad our injury history has been for the past three, four years. Liverpool needs that assurance. Otherwise, we could see another catastrophic season derailed by either injuries or just players getting fatigued, getting tired because of the amount of minutes that they have to play and the responsibility they're given on a weekly basis. Holy shit, dude, that's crazy. Because the same players that have gone on long injury stints, Joe Gomez, Van Dyke, Matip, are still y'all's three center backs that you rely on. Konate. Konate's in. But, Konate's he's, al- in. but he's also got an injury, too. But he's also too. injury prone yeah. as well. 
scary, bro. That's scary. It's and scary. then considering that your only real left back is Robertson. Simikas. We got we got Simikas there. You trust him though? I do. I do. Like I the do, entire season? I think the problem is over uh, where Trent Alexander-Arnold is. Mm-hmm. Who's his backup, dude? Right. Right, it's, right, right. It's some youth academy player. Right. And if he's having yeah. another just kind of like identity crisis, how do you <laughs> figure that out? That That is interesting. <laughs> What intrigues me about Liverpool a lot, though, is they're starting 11. If they're all healthy, as you already said, I think Liverpool have one of the best 11s. And what really gets me excited about Liverpool is the way they finished last season. Yeah. They finished so strong, yeah. though. Just scoring like three goals pretty much every single game. It's a winning streak, I think. Yeah, 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 an incredible winning streak. And they were, they were beating anybody. Like, there wasn't a single team that really bossed Liverpool. It was the other way around. Like, Liverpool, for the last, like, 10 games specifically, that's it, looked unstoppable. Yeah. And if everybody's healthy, I think Liverpool can go off and like, have an, an incredible season. There's two reasons why I just don't have Liverpool really vying for that title. One, it's it's the transfers. You know, getting Sobosai and are perfect. Absolutely perfect incredibly dynamic on and off the ball, but they also know how to get very involved offensively and assist and score on almost a weekly basis. Yeah. Like you can probably guarantee that McAllister and Sobosai is going to get somehow on the score sheet pretty much every week, which is pretty insane that you can rely on something like that. But yes, I completely agree. Liverpool need some sort of pivot defensive midfielder. Declan Rice would have been nice. You know, maybe Jude <laughs> Bellingham as well. Oh, my this guy said. That's what I'm saying, man. If we can still swoop in for that, that's the guy. We need a defensive midfielder, you man. Need a D, we lost yeah. Fabinho. We lost Henderson, too. Yeah. Who's going to be our third midfielder? That's my biggest question. Yeah, yeah. It is Curtis Jones. <laughs> Thiago. Thiago. That, that's, I don't, wouldn't rely on that. I know I'm throwing a lot at you right now. <laughs> but I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. I need to see more from, from our transfers. Yeah, and what's interesting is that I think you, you guys have to get Lavia. You have yeah. to. Like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You have to get Romeo Lavia because he is a good player. He's incredibly young. And at the very least, he can do the defensive duties that can be asked of him from Jurgen Klopp. You know, maybe it takes him some time to get involved offensively and understand how Sobosai, McAllister, Salah move. But at the very least, you can insert him immediately and do the defensive duties and rely on him on that perspective. But without a player like that, I think Liverpool are, are incomplete. But where I think they definitely have a lot of flavor and a lot of spice is offensively obviously yeah that's figured out. it's figured yeah. out i think you have probably one of the most exciting offensive lineups that you can have in the premier league so i'm not worried about that at all i really do think it is just depth and that one defensive midfield that needs to be figured out regardless though even if you even if for some reason you don't get lavia bro i still think you have one of the best squads in the prem but the injury but the chance at injuries at the back line specifically, that does scare yeah. me. That scares me a lot. But, I mean, dude, offensively, bro, Cody Gakpo, you have Luis Diaz back, you have Jota back. Yes. You still have Mohamed Salah, man. Yeah. Like, holy Darwin shit, Darwin Nunez. Nunez. Maybe he has a truly breakout season. Because I know he was solid last year, but maybe this is his Jack Grealish year, for example. Yeah. And he goes off and scores 15 to 20 goals. And then Sobo Slime, but McAllister, they're all very offensive so midfielders. Offensive. They, yes. they can be considered part of that offensive line, honestly. It is just that deep line midfielder. Who is it going to be? Is it going to be Romeo Lavia, man? Because I saw his highlights the other day to kind of just freshen myself up on what he can do, bro. That dude is like trying to always capitalize a word on your keyboard because all he does is shift. 
<laughs> he's a shifty guy. He's shifty, Does that work? Bro. That work? It works. He's it shifty, works. bro. He's hella shifty. Bro, he's a unit too. And he's a bulldog, he's a bull- dude. Dude, he's a big. Belgium is in boy, good hands, man. but it's amazing what he has to Sheesh. offer at 19 years old. God damn. God damn I, it. I did not realize that was going on at Southampton, dude. Yeah. Because yeah, I would yeah. see Southampton games every now and then, but he just didn't stand out to me like that. But watching him and keen in on him and what he can do it's scary and if he can be that guy for us it'd be perfect i just hope liverpool can pull the trigger and actually commit to signing him dude for real so just to establish who is your five your sixth your seventh and your eighth team right now prediction wise so in in five i have aston villa in six is newcastle united seven is chelsea Eight okay. is Tottenham. Tottenham. Okay, so we're pretty close. We're pretty close. I have at number five, I have Man United. Right. Six, I have Aston Villa, so one below you. Oh, okay. And then at seventh, I have Tottenham over Chelsea, who I would have in eighth. Gotcha. It's pretty similar. Yeah, that's really uh, similar. Yeah, it's just a little Actually, shifty. Our, our top eight is all pretty close, bro. Damn. Let's talk Aston Villa football then. Let's talk Aston Villa football. <laughs> Signing Diaby from Bayer Leverkusen, who was part of that incredible Bayer squad that almost made it to the final of the Europa League. Getting Pau Torres, the center back from Villarreal in La Liga, one of the best center backs in that entire league, joining this team and finally getting Yori Tielemans to join this squad in this project as well. After what was already a really strong finish to the season, what we're seeing overall from Aston Villa has been really, really positive. And I think that's why both you and I have them five and six then. Absolutely. When you look at their transfers, the players coming in, you already highlighted. And I'll go a little bit more into detail in a bit. But no player left Aston Villa, realistically. Yeah, no I important that. player has left this project. They've only improved it in almost every single line of the game. Let's start with the defense. Pau Torres. You already said it. One of the best defenders, center backs, in La Liga is now joining this Aston Villa side. If you look at Aston Villa in their record last year, I would say their weakest point was their defense. You include and insert a player like Pau Torres. I think he's going to have a, I'm not going to say quite as much, but a similar effect to Virgil van Dijk when he first joined Liverpool. I think he's going to settle down this back line. And when things get crazy, which they do on almost a weekly basis in the Premier League, I think Pau Torres' calm presence is going to do heaps and bounds for this Aston Villa side defensively. Because I think where they really faltered last year was those crazy games, those tight games where they just couldn't settle anything, you know? Sure, they were really good offensively and they could threaten their opponent, but it was on the defensive end when they couldn't track back or they couldn't have that one-on-one defender that could stop their opponent. But I think you have a guy like Pau Torres, I think he's going to be able to do that for you. I think at the very least... The way that he approaches the game is only going to help Aston Villa. But so much so that I have them finishing. I have them finishing right outside the top four because they already proved without a player like Torres and the players that they yeah. have added, they've already proved that they can finish very close to that top four spot. I see this inclusion as incredibly positive. Very similar to Arsenal's inclusion of Urien Timber. I think Pau Torres is really going to settle this back line. I love I love the move for Pau Torres specifically getting the hell out of La Liga, which is a declining league right now, but joining a really 
you know, a team in transition trying to become a force in the Premier League in Aston Villa. And I love it because he's trying to vie for that starting position with the national team as well. Yeah. So to really get these reps in, in the Premier League with a squad like Aston Villa, rather than like, you know, a, a bigger club like Man United or Liverpool or whoever it might be. I love the level that Villa is at and the level that Pau Torres is at. And I think this is like a, almost like a transfer made in heaven for both yeah. of these teams. Dude, it's such good business. When you look at Villarreal and why they were so successful and why they've been so successful for the last three years, offensively, obviously, you can highlight players like Gerard Moreno, Samuel Chukweze, but defensively, I think the clear highlight was Pau Torres. Unfortunately, I think he got a big injury that took him out of the game for a little bit, but before that injury, man, Pau Torres was going off for Villarreal and was a standout and got that call up to the Spanish national team. Not an easy thing to do. So, for as you said, for Villa to get a player like that, dude, I think... It's such good business. It's so it's so positive. And I think it's only going to help them. Moving up to the other side of the pitch, I really want to highlight Diaby, man. Because if you've been watching the Bundesliga for the last three years, you know that one of the best wingers slash wingbacks in the entire league has been Musa Diaby. End-to-end -end type of winger. Incredible pace. But beyond that... Dude, he's involved amassing nine goals and eight assists last year in the Bundesliga alone. I think he's going to easily translate his game over here to the Premier League with Aston Villa. What a signing, bro. And I've been wondering who's going to get him because he's yeah. been popping off for Leverkusen so consistently. I was like, he's got to go somewhere. Like, Leverkusen can't be the final stop for him. And so yeah. for Aston Villa to be that next step, very similar to Pau Torres, right? Yeah. The idea that, like, a really good player in their respective league Going to a project like Villas, it's so interesting, man. Yeah, man. It's a very this, similar this signing. This Bayer team is going to get picked apart, dude. <laughs> and that's with Florian Wirtz still there, employing himself for one more year for Bayer Leverkusen. But yeah. Demre Bay, I think, left as well. Oh, did he really? They're picking them Shit. apart. And it's just part of the process, man. It mm -hmm. really is. But I'm glad that Diaby actually went to a very strong club in Aston Villa. Yeah. And then lastly, Yori Tielemans, who joined from Leicester after Leicester slowly descended into relegation. Yori Tielemans said, I'm getting the fuck out of here and I'm joining a good project that has a lot of potential. And that's another really solid addition that they will be seeing this season as well. Yeah, just from a personal perspective, nothing to do with the Premier League analysis. I think having Tielemans and Douglas Louise it's going to be one of my favorite midfield duos just to see what they can do. I'm such a fan of the way that Douglas Louise plays. The Douglas Louise plays the way that he's able to open up space almost with very minimal touches. And then Tielemans, obviously so good on the ball. His IQ and the way that he positions himself on the pitch, I think is very high level. Tielemans, I think, is going to come into this team and just once again, just like all of their other signings, heavily improve this squad. So that's why I have Aston Villa finishing in fifth place because I think what they showed last year was very, very positive. And in every single line on the pitch, they have heavily improved and have not lost anything, bro. I get a little scared, though, because it's very similar to the Newcastle situation. It Villa, Villa are is. not used yeah. to this type of success, not even close. So for them to repeat it, I think it's going to be very difficult. But the three signings that they've made, I think, have been too positive for them to have a bad season. Yeah, and not losing anyone else truly notable yeah. is a big factor as well. It's huge. I'm interested, though. This really fascinates me. We both have Aston Villa over Tottenham and Chelsea. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, it comes down to not having faith in Chelsea and Tottenham, or at least trust. I don't trust them. Man. Yeah, I think that's I I think, yeah, I think it's what it boils down to for everyone. Like, yeah. it's that that lack of trust, especially with Chelsea. 
also given that they have so many new recruitments and so many players going out have you seen the list of players that have left chelsea football club it is absolutely ludicrous and they're still in the process of bringing in a lot of players to get settled into the squad but they've also been riddled with a little bit of an injury bug man with uh Nkunku out for a good amount of months now fofana is out too this Chelsea team, I think, has a lot to figure out. And though at times I do think they will be very fun and very intriguing to watch, it'll be a completely new squad, a completely yeah. new team, gone of the core that they've had for the past few years. That Champions League winning side is no longer in existence here at this club. It's a completely different squad. And I think that will be really fun to see. But I just can't trust that youth and this new age that's entering this club to guide them to a top four or even a top five, top six finish. For now, I think it's... Eight seven for them. That's the range that where I see them landing in. And if anything, that is an improvement after they finished in fucking twelfth last year. One hundred percent, bro. I just don't see this team having a lot of chemistry to start the season. I think it's gonna take a while for them to really build it. Now, of course, they have a ton of talents. The turnover rate at this club has been crazy over the last honestly like eighteen months. I think it's just a little bit too much to handle. Now, I will say this though. I think the reason why they'll have a better season is because I think there's way less pressure on them. They did so poorly last year that I think this year they could kind of just erase those demons. This is truly a clean slate, a clean slate for this Chelsea team. And you already said it, like the core that was present for the last couple years, even five years for Chelsea is all gone, man. I mean, even Mason Mount, like their, yeah. their star boy that came up through the academy, he's gone. Like... Chelsea just they brought together these type of players that they have now and they're relying on them but also more so I think last year especially at the beginning of the season Chelsea had very high expectations bro incredibly high I'm talking like top four top three finish and when they weren't getting those results in the first 10 games the pressure on Tuchel was immense bro and then they got Potter and then Potter had the exact same pressure to turn it around and still finish in the same spot and then obviously they got rid of Potter. And then, you know, the rest is history for Chelsea after having such a poor season. But I think going into this season, the board has recognized the team that they have. And they've also recognized that, okay, we cannot expect to finish in the top four. We can't expect, you know, to repeat a Champions League type of final appearance when, when they did a couple years ago, right? So because of that, I think Mauricio Pochettino is going to have a, not an easy time to start the season, but a stress-free in that pressure sense. And I think that's going to help them. I really do. So much so that I think they will improve their level of play, but not enough to really break into that top yeah. five. Yeah. No, yeah. It's just surprising with how much money they spent in the past 12 months that they still end up in a position like this regarding our predictions. I want to see them overachieve. I want to see that money actually result in a higher position. But for now... I'm a little hesitant to give them that confidence and that faith, even though they were preseason tournament champions or some <laughs> shit here in the Americas. Man. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and then Tottenham. I think Tottenham is the last big team that we have left to talk about when it comes to this topic because I think throughout the process of our friendship, I've always come off as a little bit of a Tottenham optimist, I think. Yeah, yeah. I've always been very optimistic about every single Tottenham side. Not that I'm a Tottenham fan, but I just, I always think there's something more there than what actually exists. And I think I'm buying in once again this season to whatever 
that quantifies into because I've loved their signings. I've loved what they've done. Getting James Madison, Mickey Van de Ven, Pedro Poros solidifying that signing as well as Kulusevsky, getting a goalkeeper and Vicario to potentially replace Hugo, Hugo Lloris, getting a fun potentially wonder kid and uh, Alejo Veliz from Argentina, Manor Solomon, the Israeli as well, yeah, joining yeah, this yeah. team and only getting rid of Harry Winks, uh, the center back Linglet, Dan Juma and Lucas Mora, who is too old to be on the squad. Mm. I've loved the moves and more than anything, I've loved the, the inclusion of James Madison because we've talked about it on this podcast for so long that Tottenham needs a creative attacking midfielder that can feed balls into those really talented offensive options. And they never really had that. With Bentancur and Hoiberg, this to me feels like damn near the perfect signing for that specific position. It's just a question of, does Harry Kane actually start the season with Tottenham? Is he there to see out this project? I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned about the mental aspect, the mental side of this team, just knowing the shit they go through every year, despite how good of a team they might have on paper. That's my biggest question, is the situation of Harry Kane. Why he's still at this club, honestly, I don't know. I'm going to be completely honest. I know that might sound very disrespectful, but last year he wanted out. Didn't get the move. He decided to stay, or he was at least okay with staying. Ended up bagging 30 goals. But that's the regular of Harry Kane, man. He's the best English striker to have ever lived, to have ever been born. I just think Tottenham are wasting him. And I think... Kane has to know that his timeline is nearing an end, especially with his prime. And I'm, I'm honestly very surprised he still hasn't gotten a move out. I really am. The Byron talks are very interesting because if Byron were to get a player like Harry Kane, I think that would make them, honestly, Champions League contenders. I really do think so. And I'm surprised that that, hasn't, that deal hasn't been able to be finalized. But even then, like, for example, I know United have somewhat been in talks of maybe getting a player like Kane. And I'm also surprised that that hasn't been able to fall through. I don't know. I just think the mental aspect of this. I know Kane's committed because he's a professional. No matter who he's playing with, he's going to score 30, 35 goals. I understand that. But for Tottenham as a club, kind of knowing that instability of you know Kane and what he wants, I feel like that actually does have an effect. And it's funny because I usually don't associate psychology into a team's performance. But bro, I think I'm going to employ that idea here because I, I feel like there's something weird about Tottenham. And especially the last couple seasons. Like, even when Kane is scoring 30-plus goals a season, they don't do anything with it. They really don't. And I, getting a player like James Madison, I think, is incredibly positive, sure. But... You know, Madison isn't that much of a goal scorer. I think he's more of a provider. But, you know, wasn't Hyungmin Son and Kulisevsky already kind of doing that for Harry Kane? So while I do think the signings for Tottenham are positive, I just think they need a lot more, right? I think Betancourt and Hoiberg, for as good as they are, I don't know if they're really Tottenham material. I'm kind of fed up with both of them, to be completely honest. And I know that may sound really harsh, but they've, they've had so many trial runs with this team, right? And, you know, solidifying Pedro Porro. He was good last season. He wasn't great. The rest of Tottenham's defense is the same. And they've already proven to not be able to cut it. Right? So, again, I know what I'm saying sounds terrible if you're a Tottenham fan. But I really do think it's the reality. Now, what's interesting, I will say, getting Ange Postacoglu, I think, is a different direction for Tottenham. And I think it's actually a really positive one. 
Because I don't see this signing getting him as a coach as kind of like a blockbuster one. I think they're kind of fed up with those big name coaches like uh, Mourinho and Conte. Yeah. I think they're going, all right, let's go low key here and let's actually have an identity. And that's what gets me excited about Tottenham. The thing is, I think it's since it's his first year, the Kane saga, I think there's a lot left to be done, which is why I have them, you know, finishing in the place that I have them finishing, like seventh, eighth. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Tottenham have an interesting project. I just think they're missing a lot. I listed through teams 9 to 20 here okay. to kind of just gauge where we think they'll be in this season. And I just want to hear a quick take what you think about their overall potential this year and what you see happening for them. In ninth place, I have Brighton. I think the Brighton project will continue to succeed. Maybe not as notably as last year, but they're still going to continue having the wheels run on this well-oiled machine that they've created. The signing of Joao Pedro, I think, is very, very good. And even though they got rid of guys like McAllister or Robert Sanchez, their goalkeeper, I still think they have a lot to rely on that is going to guide them to success and to a ninth-place finish here in the Prem. My take is the exact same, dude. I have them finishing in ninth place, and for those very reasons. I think they'll do slightly worse than they did in this last season, but it's because, you know, they lost Trossard, in the winter, yeah. they just lost Alexis McAllister and then Sanchez as well. For me, those were their three best players. And so when you lose a contingency like that, you're, I think your performances are going to degrade. Now, of course, they tried to make it up by getting a player like Joao Pedro. You still have Mitoma. And I think that's why they'll remain to be very competitive and play very fluid type of football. But yeah, I think ninth is where I have them finishing. No? Okay, so we agree there. Mm -hmm. In 10th place, I hope we have the same team here. I have Brentford. A, a version, a very similar version to Brighton in the way that they managed to maximize the talents and players that they have. They've signed a couple of players in Nathan Collins, uh, Kevin Schad, and then Mark Flecken from Freiburg as well, and not really having a lot of players leave the club either. Yeah. I love the state that they're currently in. Their coach has proven to be very reliable when it comes to finishing kind of mid-table mid in the Prem. I'm hoping for Brentford to have another successful season by their standards in the prem yet again and i think they have what it takes to be able to do it yeah uh freiburg have had two very good seasons in the bundesliga these last two years and flecken i've heard that name a lot <laughs> especially last year so for brentford to get a goalkeeper like that i think is very positive it's good business i have brentford finishing in 11th so very oh, close to yours, very okay. close to yours. But yeah, for the same reasons. I think their coach is phenomenal, and they didn't really lose anybody. I see them as a very competitive team, finishing right at mid-table. So then who do you have in 10th? I have Fulham. Whoa. Whoa. That's, why do you have Fulham that high? I'm curious. Well, they finished very high uh, last season, they and they pretty much have the exact same squad. And so I think they're going to repeat what they did, which is finish mid-table. I think it'll be a very feisty team. They'll get some really surprising results, but not enough to really break into the top seven and not bad enough to you know get anywhere near like the bottom five. So yeah, I have them finishing literally right at mid-table. Yeah. Fulham worries me, man. Fulham worries me a lot. So? Mitrovic is in talks to go to Saudi Arabia, and he there's is. like a feud between him and the club. He doesn't want to play for Fulham anymore. And he's ready to get out. Same with Silva. The coach is getting the same type of temptation from Saudi Arabia. I'm interested to see if he takes that. So is really on. getting really? Yes. No way. Yeah, they're offering like 40 mil for him, bro. And then oh, William shit. too. William is in talks too to lead the team. And who's the replacement? Who's the Mitrovic replacement? Raul Jimenez. <laughs> but 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 but. 
this might be another Kane thing where he wants to leave and doesn't. And if he doesn't, he's going to score 15 goals. Mitrovic? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, just, I wonder how this happened, guy... Right, was right. Saudi Arabia involved? I wonder. That Saudi Arabia money is different from that English and German money, man. <laughs> for sure. Uh, there's something about it. <laughs> for sure. There's it's, something it's about it. Yeah, for, sure. for real. And so I'm interested to see if that plays out. But yes, my, I guess my take does rely a little bit more on hypotheticals and what might happen which is versus what exists right now. Yeah, yeah, but even yeah. then, the signing of Calvin Bassey and Raul Jimenez just isn't enough for me. I see them dropping in quality. I actually have Fulham in 15th, bro. Jesus, man. Hey, come on. 15th, bro. But to talk about Bastio, I think his career trajectory is actually pretty cool. Playing in a Europa League final with Rangers, then immediately getting a move to the Netherlands, having a you know decent season with Ajax for one year, just one, and then coming to the Prem. Yeah. Pretty dope. Pretty good. And yeah. I, I do see him as a very good defender, and I, I, I think he's going to help him out. I really do. So, yeah, I have Fulham pretty much repeating their performance last year. But, yeah, if they do lose Mitrovic, uh, I, I'd put them lower. I would. Yeah. All right. 9-10 has been established. Did you say 11 was your, was your Brentford? Brentford's 11. My 11 is West Ham. Okay. My 11 is West Ham. Uh, confirm, confirmed as of today, two confirmed signings, and Edson Alvarez joining this team, and James Ward-Prowse joining West Ham as well with the departures of Declan Rice, Skamaka, uh, Vlasic and Lanzini leaving this team. I was interested to see how the hell do they approach the transfer window with so much money in their pocket. The signing of Edson Alvarez is interesting. Is it a game-changing one? I don't think so, but he can provide to be a filler. I'm interested to see what his reaction is to the Premier League and facing off against top squads and you know Chelsea, Arsenal, Man City every single week I think will massively help him improve as a player. The most expensive player in CONCACAF this offseason. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. I have West Ham in 11th. Despite, I know a lot of people are even shouting for them to potentially be in relegation for how bad of a season they had in the Prem last year. I just don't think they'll put themselves back in that position again. I think they'll find a way to kind of maximize the really talented squad that they have and that they can play with and not let what happened last year happen again. So for that reason, I have them in 11th. I have them in 12th. Also, oh, okay. Yeah, pretty cool. similar, honestly. Cool. And pretty much for the same reasons. I think the squad is really talented. They're very solid. Players like Jared Bowen, I thought, had a fantastic season last year. Michael Antonio is a runner. He doesn't care how physical the game gets. That's the type of player West Ham honestly need. You still have a really crafty, feisty player in Lucas Paqueta who can maybe pull the strings unless Manchester City end up getting him, which would be crazy. Yeah, that'd be crazy. Uh, but then, you know, you still have rotation players like Saeed Ben Rama. And of course, the back line, incredibly formidable as far as their defensive shape is concerned. So yeah, I have West Ham not doing anything special, but also not really fighting for relegation. In 12th place, I, I have Burnley. I actually have Burnley in 12th. I think every year there's one team from the championship that kind of overachieves or at least does really well in comparison to the other teams that got promoted. And I think Burnley's going to be that team with Vincent Company leading the the squad behind the scenes and them splashing some cash, spending some money to really prepare themselves for this Premier League venture. I think Burnley overall will prove to be a good mid-table team. I don't have a single team. I don't have a single promoted team getting into the top 10 the way that we saw like Fulham do last year or even Leeds do at one point a few years ago as yeah. well. I don't think that's going to happen again. I think it's too competitive up top. But in that 10 to 14 range, I have Burnley right in the middle at 12th. 
And once again, very similarly, I have Burnley in 13th. So oh, okay. everything's shifted by one right now because of the Fulham. 13, Burnley, but for the exact same reasons, I think they're a very talented squad. I think what's going to hinder them is the talent. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think they have enough to break into the top 10, but I think they're going to you know, do well to finish upper low table. <laughs> and then in 13th place, I have a team that has become so accustomed to landing in this zone that it might as well be considered their home or as others would say their palace and that's crystal palace who i have finishing in 13th i cannot remember a season where they have not finished between that 11 to i guess 15 range they have become accustomed to landing right here in this area and i have them yet again finishing in 13th place not much has changed outside of the departure of a very important player for them and Wilfred Zaha leaving the club. But I think guys like uh, Olise and Esse will step up after a really impressive season last year to kind of make up for that gap and hole that Zaha leaves. They won't be able to impress on like a crazy level, but I think it will be enough to stay in the Prem and see themselves have another season. Maybe they get a big move because I saw that Elisa was garnering some interest from Man City at one point. So yeah. they could make a big move at one point. But for now, I think Crystal Palace finishes 13th. Yeah, Palace also got Jefferson Lerma from yes. Bournemouth, which I think is a fantastic signing. A player who's very accustomed to the Premier League, a very good defensive midfielder. So I think that's really good for Palace. And very similar to you, I have them finishing in 14th. Damn, okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they also got a Mateus Fran Franca from, from uh, uh, Brazil. Brazil. From Flamengo, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was like... The Don't know the player, to be honest, yeah. but really interesting. So then in 14th place, who do you have? I have Nottingham Forest. I have Nottingham simply because I think the players that they got last year is good enough to play in the Prem. I think they'll flirt with relegation once again. But I, I think it'll be good enough to to stay afloat. I really do. They really didn't do much in this offseason, to be completely yeah. honest. But I, again, I think they really spent a lot of money last year. And I think it's going to pay dividends in the sophomore year for them. But yeah, I don't see any, like literally anything special from this four side. But I for, think, for, yeah. what I love about, they have so many just good players. Not yeah. like stars, but like right. Gibbs White, Brennan Johnson. Uh, they just signed Maddie Turner to replace the departure yes. of Keylor Navas yes. as well. Another CONCACAF keeper. I like it. I like the project that they have right now. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I don't know if I can rely on them to improve three spots versus what they did last year. Because I think they finished in 17th or 16th last year. Mm -hmm. I have them in 17th this year. Okay. Right there on right the edge, there. but I do have them staying in the league. I just I think it's going to come really really close for them at times, okay. just like last year. And in 14th, I actually have Burnmouth. I have the Burnmouth project continuing to see themselves out. Some really nice signings and guys like uh, Ahmed Traore, Kirkes from AZ. My boy, Milos Kirkes, baby, man. <laughs> this was one of my favorite signings in the whole plan, bro. I'm not even kidding, dude. Has to be. Bro. Has to be. I was such a fan of his play last year. A really interesting fullback. Very robotic, if you've never seen him, Bournemouth fans out there. But in a really good way. I, I like his technique. And he gets forward a lot. He's not an out-and-out like wingback. Definitely a traditional left fullback, but he plays the game in a really fun fashion. I think he's going to add to this Bournemouth side. And that, that's how I feel about a certain player that I'm about to mention that Bournemouth got because there was one last year when Valencia was in the relegation zone. I made sure to check in and watch one game. And throughout that process, throughout that viewing experience, there was one player that stand, stood out to me a lot that I was like, oh, he has no place here in this team. He needs to go and because he's so good. Justin Kluivert 
from uh, from the Netherlands. Burnmouth got him. They acquired him. I loved his tenacity offensively, his speed, his quickness. I really like the threat that he poses on the offensive end. And for them to get him for like under 10 mil, I thought was a really good business, really good signing. And I think he's going to, if he can find a, a role in this team, I think he'll be able to succeed and provide a lot for the squad. We'll see if he pans out. But for now, I do like that signing. But I think it's just a statement for what they have done overall, this transfer window. It's good business so far from Burnmouth. And that's why I have them in 14th. I have Bournemouth in 16th. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I just... Okay. They impressed me last year in the fact that I thought they were going to get relegated. So the fact that they didn't honestly completely surprised me. I don't think they'll get relegated again because of that. I think they have a certain amount of tenacity, a certain amount of grit and aggression that will prevent them from getting relegated. But I, I, yeah, I just don't see much from this Bournemouth side, especially offensively. And I think their defense hasn't really improved. So, yeah, I, I, I have them finishing in 16th. 16th, you have Bournemouth. I have Everton. Okay, okay. So then that means either you have Everton in 17th or you have them in the relegation zone. There's four teams we haven't mentioned. Right. Luton Town, uh-huh. Sheffield, Wolves. Yeah, and Everton. And Everton. I have Everton surviving yet another season. <laughs> you have a naughty look on your face, bro. <laughs> I just want to make sure I got my list down. I got Everton surviving yet again by a fucking thread. Another season in the Prem. Signings like Dan Juma and Ashley Young will carry this team past the relegation zone. (laughs) Because I just think the teams below them are so, so bad, dude. Mm. I really do. And I think there's enough grit. There's enough fight there to just be able to flesh out another fucking season. I think they'll find a way. They, They have that will. The way the crowd essentially carried them in those final last games... To stay in the league for one more year really surprised me, man. It was beyond the players at that point. Mm. We saw guys like DeCorey mm. score bangers, which I think are a credit to the way the crowd supported them and just infused the team with a belief like no other just to stay in the goddamn league. And I think that crowd, I think that core that they have is just enough to stay one more year. I don't like their signings. I don't like the players that they let go either. But it is what it is. I have them staying up mainly because the teams that I have below them, I just think are so much more worse. I have Everton getting relegated in 17th, or sorry, 18th, in 18th position. Their signings don't impress me whatsoever. They're awful. Terrible. And I think the squad that they have remaining just isn't good enough. Now, you're right about last year. I just think they got a little lucky in that sense. I really do. I don't think before that. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't think that luck will ride out this season. I think it's over. I think Everton will break an incredible run in what has been an insane tenure in the Premier League. But I think it's going to come to an end, bro. I really do. I don't get it. They couldn't fix it this offseason. That's what frustrates me. Could they not make those signings? They know what's coming for them if they don't. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, like they have the money. You know, you 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 escaped relegation yeah. last year. You escaped it. How could you not think about the best way to avoid it the next season? And you get a player like Dan Yuma. I was gonna say, imagine being Dan Yuma and you're brought into the office, and Everton's just like, "Listen, brother, uh, I'm gonna ask a lot of you, a lot, a lot out of you this season, my friend." And you're not gonna get much in return. No, no, not at all, but not at all. But I'm gonna need you to provide so much offensively. 
that we stay another year in this league. Can you do that for me, my friend? <laughs> and he's just like, I, I guess. Yeah. I guess. But overall, I think it's it's worrisome. But I think it's just enough. <laughs> I think Dan Juma will have a season of his life uh, maybe. to stay up in the prem. There's one player I want to highlight. He's actually leaving the club this offseason. Tom Davies. Tom Davies. I remember when he made his debut as a teenager for Everton. The hype around this kid was incredible. It was dope. It was dope, bro. I, I actually remember the game vividly because he came off the bench and yes. he had so much energy. Like he was like, I was like, oh, this guy's like, he's trying to make a name eager. for himself. He's so eager to play. And you could see like the energy, like you could see the energy was possessing him almost because honestly, I didn't think he was that good. But I liked the way he approached his debut because it was just pure English and it was pure energy, man. You know, it's like the stories you hear when like Rooney made his debut honestly, for Everton. Honestly, it really was like that. And I was like, oh, this is what they're talking about. It was a dream debut. It was, it was awesome, man. And to see his career play out for Everton the way it did and for him to now just be like, I'm done with Everton. Like, I'm out. Like, he had the opportunity to stay, but he actually mm -hmm. rejected it. And I'm just like, I think that's literally exemplary of where Everton yeah. is as a club, bro. That says more about Everton. It says bro. more. Yeah. Exactly. So it's just really heartbreaking to see. Not that Tom Davies was, you know, like a world beater. Not that he was like a world-class player. But for him to just already give up on them when they need players to help them survive relegation, that's so telling. Sounds like it, Mexico. God damn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty depressing. And so... Davies, honestly, I applaud you, and I hope you have a good career elsewhere. Uh, should I re should I relegate them, man? I would because they lost Moise Keane as well. He went back to Juve. Right. Yeti Mina is leaving too. Uh, okay. Connor Cody is going back to Wolves mm -hmm. after the loan that he had at Everton, and then Tom Davies. Yeah. And then they lost Gordon mid-season. Oh uh, my God, yeah. they did. Yeah, they like he was like the Tom Fuck. Davies, but offensively, like yeah. they've lost everybody, bro. Fuck, they're left man. with nothing. Nah, they're getting sixteenth. 17th. <laughs> 17th, I have Nottingham. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm Nottingham. Okay. Um, just oh, surviving, right? Like right. So do we know your 17? Oh, my 17 is Wolves. They're, you have them surviving. I have them surviving, and here's the only reason why. I thought they were going to get relegated for the last two seasons, and they didn't. Yeah, and but it's been building. It's been building. It's been building to this. But every year, they manage to finish like 15th. Like, they just do it. Like, I think, and the thing is, I think the squad that they have is literally right above relegation. Unlike Everton, where I think their squad flirts with it, Wolves definitely flirts with it, but I think it's just right above They do it. have a good squad. Like, it's not, like, it's not a bad squad. It's not nowhere near good. No, nowhere yeah, near yeah, good. yeah. But I think it's enough to stave off relegation, especially when you compare them to the teams that they have to fight against relegation. I just think the players that they had last year and the year before that were so good that they were able to overachieve and get a 15th place finish, for example. Right. You lose Ruben you lose Neves, Neves. That's huge. I could see them dropping three spots because of that. Mm -hmm. You lose Nathan Collins. You lose Raul Jimenez, who these past couple years was not who he once was, yeah. but at one point was very good for them. Diego Costa you lose, but it was basically it pointless. Yeah. And then you really only sign Mateus Cunha, who was already part of the team this past year. Uh, you just solidify that that loan deal and then Doherty as well you sign but that's kind of it. it yeah uh i don't i don't i don't see it with wolves this year i really don't i, I think, never do yeah yeah <laughs> but I, that's my thing i wasn't with you last year because i remember you were very anti-wolves last year i was year. super anti-wolves um 
I think this is what it's been building to. I think maybe you were a year ahead, okay. and this I, is I, when I, it finally happens. I have Wolves in 18th, and yeah, 18th 18? place. Okay. Yeah, okay. 18th place. 19th. Sheffield for me. Same. Okay. Okay, so we finish off the same. We finish off the same. Sheffield in 19th, Luton in 20th. Yeah, Luton in 20th. Why Luton? Sheffield over Luton? I think simply because they finished over them in the championship. Yeah. For both of them, I have pretty much the same thing to say. I don't think they did much in the offseason to try and be competitive in the Prem. They're mainly relying on their championship-level players to see them through. And also, Sheffield lost NDI, by the way. Yes. Uh, which is, I think, a huge miss. He's going to Marseille, I believe. And so that's great for him career-wise, but for Sheffield, bad. And Luton, if you see their transfers, yes, they spent money, but, dude, all on championship players. They got Ross Barkley today, though. Oh, did they really? Yeah, from Nice. I... Yeah, I know. not great, yeah, yeah. but not bad either. Yeah, it's not, not, it's, it's he's going to start every game probably. Probably, I think he's one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but for Luton, it's more about just their story, bro. The smallest Premier League stadium in history, ten thousand. That's it. Pretty insane. Also, the first club in Premier League era to be promoted all the way from the fifth division to the top. Oh my god, dude! Insane. They're the modern day Wrexham, essentially. Yeah, they're what Wrexham want to be. Yeah. And Luton actually did it. They actually did it. So it's pretty insane uh, that they're even in the Prem. And so they have my full support, but bro. But were they just not prepared? Why, why is it that they can't survive another year here? Why can't they get established here and build to something more? Because I see the Wrexham project as a team that one day will get to the Prem. But once they get here, will become an essential part of it as well and mm. be able to stay up. Why is that Luton, after all that work, is predicted to be the 20th place finisher in this league. I think it's because of their, the, the the stature of their club, and it's it's no disrespect. I think it's reality, right? They're so small, bro. They've had to spend a couple million on their stadium to actually increase it from like 10 to like 11,000. Like that's where their money's going alongside transfers, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like they, they have other things to worry yeah. about. <laughs> and I, I think that's tough. You know, I think that's really, really tough. And then you look at the squad that they have, it's good. It's really good for the championship. And again, credit to them for even getting here. It's a crazy story and low key. For me, they might be the team that I watch the most games of a newly promoted team. 100%. Like, you don't want to watch Burnley, bro? It's nah. a different Burnley team, man. Not I what know, we've used to seeing, man. They I, got a new logo, too. I saw that actually. That's it's pretty fire. dope. It's pretty dope. No, because when I see teams like Burnley, they're like, to me, they remind me a lot of Norwich, you know? They're 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 really good in the like amazing in the championship, but they struggle in the prem, bro. They 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 do, and well, we we predict they won't though. Uh, no, yeah, 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 yeah. But like I'm talking, You're really hurting me with this, man. <laughs> no, I'm talking about like doing something special. I don't think Burnley can do that, and Luton can't either. But the story of how small Luton are is what fascinates me. For sure, for me. sure, for that's sure. what fascinates me. Yeah. Can they fight to not be the worst team in Premier League history? Oh shit. Yeah, because they're going to be competing for that title. They're going to get mollywhopped. There's, there's a chance. There's, there's, there's a chance. chance. I, I don't want to say that because I bad energy. I yeah. I never really like putting that type of voodoo on a team, so I don't want to say it. But yeah, I mean maybe that, this could, this is this sounds to me like a perfect nominee for that. Right, the like, way yeah. you just presented <laughs> going into a league like this with a squad that you have. Yes, it's set up for that. It's, it's, I'm not the, saying it though. One of the smallest. Lowest level teams we've ever seen enter the Prem during a time where the Prem is at its absolute highest peak. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is going to get ugly, bro. It might, but I mean, look at look at that parallel of Abar when they first came into the league. They, they did really, really well with 
second division players in Spain. Now, obviously, there's a huge class difference, in my opinion, between La Liga and Premier League. Um, just overall from 1 to 20, position 1 to 20. So, yeah, I think it's a lot different. But, you know, it can be done. You think you think you could coach this team out of relegation zone? <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> There's no way, bro. There's no way. <laughs> then they're done for, my then that's what that means to me. They're done I for. I have them being relegated. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I hope they I hope they don't make any records.